Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. It's much easier to be a, a reasonable parent when it's sunny. Like, I don't care what anybody says, but if we lived in Australia, I'd be super dad. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Glad to say we're joined on the line by uh, the Examiner Senior Sports Writer, Morris Brosnan. Morning, Morris. Morning, lads. Where do you fall down in that debate? I was uh, always a racist growing up, but as I, I became more and more of a disenfranchised Man United fan and saw all the, the city carry on, it kind of disenfranchised me from the band. So I'd fall down on, on your side on that one. Of, of any other side, I suspect, on that basis. I, exactly, yeah. We'd, uh, we were just chatting to Pat Bland there about the Sligo-Dublin game and <clears throat> asking him about the case for Sligo here and obviously the permutations of needing to better Kildare's result against Roscommon, uh, pointing out that Dublin are uh, not at their strongest. Maybe it's a good time to be playing them. What's your expectation of the outcome from that game and that group? Uh, yeah, so the other game in that is a lot more interesting, um, which I suppose we can talk about in a second. But just from a Sligo perspective, it's interesting. If you sat down at the start of the year, and I think Tony McAfee is on record in saying this, and asked what their their goal was, I think they would have said get promotion from Division 4. That was their main priority, make a Connacht final. And uh, after uh, everything after that was essentially bonus territory. Whereas now, I, I spoke to Paddy O'Connor, their, their foot forward during the week, and he's kind of adamant this isn't bonus territory. Bonus territory for them is making it out of the group. That was their goal all along. That draw at the very start makes that a very realistic proposition. Um, and I think they have to be realistic about it and be kind of open to the idea that as long as they can limit the score difference here and try and stay relatively close to, to Lair, that's that's success for them. It's the, it's the downfall in this whole championship structure, Adrian, is the reason it hasn't captivated people is that you could have situations where teams have lost, you know, in some cases three games in a row and they're still ending up qualifying for the, the knockout stages. But from a team's perspective, yeah, you have to be realistic, draw a circle around it and, uh, and try and tick that box. We're still trying to figure out the answer to that question. Like, um, I'm always sort of amused by the debate around is it a good system or not? Like, I think let it play out and let's see, particularly over the over the closing rounds. But, like, you might have a situation where both Sligo and Kildare get beaten and Kildare will go through with a single point. I mean, I don't know what the conclusion to that is. It definitely um, is unusual. Yeah, it is. And it's funny, the more you talk to players and management the more you kind of realise they, they seem to like this system. But David Burke is speaking this week just about what the benefit he's gotten out of that and how styles make fights. They might set up a certain way against Dublin and do a totally different thing against Sligo um, in the high. I was at that game, actually. And then on the flip side, you've got other man, Park Joyce has said the same, a very similar thing. I think Colin Collins last week said something similar. Players seem to get a lot of joy out of it. But when you talk about whether or not we like the system or whether or not the players and management like the system, that's that's irrelevant, really. The, the thing is, it has to capture the public, too. The, the public has to be, come up with this system. That was what killed the Super 8s, effectively, in the end. Is people kind of lost interest by, especially by the last those last rounds where it ended up being dead rubbers. And I would be concerned we're doing the same thing again, that the public, for whatever reason, just haven't been, been captured by this. The attendances have been pretty stark. I think the, there would have been, an, I'd say, an element of concern when you look at some games this weekend that you would have been convinced. If I said to you six months ago that Galway and Armagh are playing in Carrick and Shannon when there's still a lot on the line, I mean, that we would expect that game to sell out within hours. And when I checked this morning, there's still tickets available for that game. Yeah. I, people have drawn the comparison what happened in the qualifying last year. But you just go back to the league this year, that was in the box. That was the same day Ireland played England. The same time, I think, actually, wasn't it? That Ireland played England <laughs> on a Saturday night. And there was over 10,000 at that game. And for whatever reason... 
the same people just aren't aren't coming out right now. How do you assess Morris Kildare at the moment? Because you think back to the Leinster semi-final against Dublin and it was a, a good performance, could have got a result out of it. And then what's happened since, the draw with Sligo, the nine-point defeat to, to Dublin in, in the repeat game in Nolan Park. It's it's really, really hard to know where they're at. And as I said earlier, they're hot and cold. Yeah, exactly. You hit it in one there. It's, it's impossible. I can't answer that question, Shane. <laughs> it's impossible to know where Kildare are at. They're just a complete yo-yo team. They seem to strike... So after this the Sligo game, we asked David Burke about the way they, because that was the week after they played Dublin, we asked him about how they had played, how they set up against Dublin. And he said that when he watched Galera play Dublin in the Leinster Championship and talk about now, that, that set the template. That was what they adopted to get their draw in Crow Park, which I thought was an interesting thing. And then you fast forward a couple of weeks later and Galera do something totally different, like completely different when they meet Dublin again. Um, they're way more open, which to a certain extent is laudable, but it wasn't ever going to, to win them the game. So it's really hard to get an accurate gauge on the team. They've changed it up a lot. Kevin Feely started full forward against Ligo. He was coming on off the bench a week later. Um, we don't really know what's going on with Daniel Flynn. Paddy Woodgate inside is incredibly talented forward. They ha- this is the, it's a classic thing. Is, I'm sure it's an answer you've heard before. They have all what you would want on paper, but there seems to be no definable style, no progression week on week. It's Yeah, it's a really hard question. So I wouldn't be... I mean, if you're trying to predict that game, you wouldn't be overly confident that they'll... Um, they'll adapt what you would need to do against Roscommon. So I, I think that's a huge game for, for David Burke. And it, I don't think it's necessarily as big a, a difference as some people might. Like he's managed against his club in the past. I don't know if the Kildare stuff would be weighing his mind as much as it would, but just purely from terms of what's on the line, the fact that they could still, absolutely could still top that group. I think uh, that's a, a huge game for Roscommon. And I, it's just hard to have any faith in Kildare. Shane is very much with you on that. He's trying to sort of uh, back out of his position here, uh, Morris, from, from pre-show, but I'm holding him to account. He feels that Kildare could get done by eight or nine points and Sligo could squeeze through. Is that a likely outcome in your view? Yeah, it is. Like, it's just as likely, in my mind, that Kildare end up winning this game and we're all <laughs> raving about them again because, as, as I mentioned, they definitely have it on uh, on paper. I think from a Sligo perspective as well, the, the, the one thing you would worry about is... So, I mean, there's obviously there's a huge gulf between, we've heard this before, between the lower division teams and top division teams. And the one thing you would worry about is that they were right there in the mix with uh, Roscommon for about 50 minutes. They actually, Alan Riley scored a great goal, a bit long kick out Sean Carbine. And then, so I put the, when Roscommon put the foot down, sorry, they just weren't able to, to stay with them. And this is just inevitable. This is, there's no way you can prepare for the athleticism that's at the top teams. But this that's the one real clear advantage Dublin would have. So there's every chance that you're looking at that Dublin Sligo game thinking, geez, Sligo are in with a shout here right up until that final quarter and then Dublin usually kill teams there. Yeah. So that is, that's uh, Group 3. That's on Sunday. And you mentioned Galway Armagh. So let's go to Group 2 also on Sunday. All of these games will turn at the same time. You've Galway Armagh in Carrick and Shannon, then Tyrone Westmeath and Cavan. Um, the, just on that Galway Armagh game, I, you mentioned about the ticket sales, which has become a talking point in light of the fact that they wanted to play at Croke Park, which I felt was never to do with attendance, more to do with them trying to get a bit of exposure to playing there for potential benefit later in the year. But no shortage of recent games to try and track a prediction for Morris between the two of them. And despite the fact that Armagh could easily have won both last year's championship game and the league game this year, it does feel like Galway are just a far better team than them right now. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny you went from, we went from talking about Clare to talk about Armagh because they are, in a lot of ways, in a in a similar boat, I think. It's the classic thing that even though their, their provincial record wasn't that strong and they haven't won any silverware and they're also relegated from... Um, Division One this year, you still would have a bit of a bit of expectation around Armagh because of what you see on paper. They're they're totally hamstrung by this weekend's 
Adrian, in terms of the not having Reid O'Neill, I think that's a, a huge loss. And on top of that, I mean, it's hard to know with this new teams have to be submitted on, on Thursday nights and our man named their team last night. Um, I would be I would be stunned if that team starts. It's just very hard to mm-hmm. see how that was deemed to be the option that, you know, they've got Callum Kumiski, who for all intents and purposes is a, is a defender named as in the half-forward line, which so they're really going to set up with... I just I would just be very surprised if they set, set up with that format. Um, and on the flip side, Galway have done, ticked basically every box that's been asked them. They've developed their squad really, really well from last year. That was their the one killer talking about teams being right there, stride for stride, right until the last quarter. Galway matched Kerry for 55 minutes, effectively, in an Ireland final last year and just probably didn't have the reserves they needed. And they've gone about it very diligently, filling that up. So they've got Ian Burke back, they've got Peter Cook back. They've been two, two huge additions. On top of that, John McCurran, who missed all of last year with um, a shattered kneecap, he's back on the bench at the weekends. Kieran O'Kareen, who anybody who watched the Galway trenches this year, he was a very exciting centre forward, was drafted into a the senior squad just for exposure, was so good that he was added to the 26th for this weekend. So they're really developing two teams that, if you go back to that Ireland qualifying, I think their trajectories have been totally different since then. Galway have, I think, all the box, they've done all that's asked for them. There's fine margins between what has separated them teams, but at the same time, I think. Galway are, yeah, they're on a similar path. I, I still think, I think this game could still be incredibly close because of the the nature of these groups and that it's not a, a do or die game. But in terms of long term prospects, you'd feel a lot more confident about Galway. Yeah, and the Rio O'Neill factor as well might go against our map. I was in Mullingar a few weeks ago for the Galway Westmead game and it was like so nip and tuck for about 50 minutes. Westmead get a red card, changes the complexion of the game. Now, to be fair, Galway, regardless, would have, would have won and had a hat full of goal chances, particularly in the first half that they should have won it by an awful lot more. But the red card happens to Rick and Ellen. Comer comes in. He's, to be honest, hobbling around the pitch at times in a way that I thought, Jesus, even when the game was done, like get him out of there. He kicks a couple of well, like worldly scores and, and Galway is over the line. Is there any update? Because he was obviously injured enough in that game not to start him. Any update on him? Well, he's, yeah, he's back in. He's named to start. Now, as I mentioned, this stuff is... There is variance in this. There's certain teams who... So every team will submit a 26 and there's a standby list which isn't made public. But every team can resort that if there's, uh, if there's an injury. So just for example, I think Mayo... In almost every championship this game this year, have turned to their standby list. So they've they, they've named the twenty six as they all do um, on the Thursday. But you know, some teams don't do. I'm sure this is some teams like to train on a Friday night, for example. Agent. Some teams like to name their team on a Zoom on a the day before a game. That's just the way they, the, the nature of it. So it's hard to put too much stock in the teams that were named yesterday. But as of right now, uh, Comer is named and fit, and he's going to start. Um, they've I, they've gone kind of gone full bore effectively. They've got this. Burke, Walsh, Comer are, are all are, are all in there. But yeah, he has been it's no surprise. Like he missed he went down when he went down against Roscommon in Pierce Stadium in the league, there was a lot of concerns about the nature of that knee injury, the way he jarred it. And that just has to be managed for the rest of the year. And that's another reason, just on the and again, why I think the players and management put more stock in this current system than the public are is because they don't want those three games in a row. Because inevitably, it is just absolutely inevitable you're going to pick up an injury or two game on game. And those that's the difference between winning and losing a qualifying final. You look at Kerry now, for example, the, the fear Gavin White isn't named in their 26. The fear is that if they have a game next week, are you going to rush them back to try and get them to play? Because that's going to be a, a be a knockout game. Whereas if they just had that bit of leeway to resort, solve all that kind of stuff, it would have given them so much more comfort, I think. And I, I think that's the same for, for a lot of teams. I think it wouldn't be one be surprised to see teams pick up knocks as they go. Because mm. the nature of this is that while we all want to be playing games, you don't want to play games week on week on week because inevitably you're, you're just going to pick up wear and tear. Tyrone Morris, 
like Enda McGinley was was speaking during the week, and he genuinely believes there there are strong dark horse contenders for the All Ireland this year. And you think back to the the Monaghan game in Oma earlier in the summer in the Ulster Championship, and and they lose that one late on. But what they've done since has been slowly progressive and 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 almost impressive as well. The win against Armagh, um, and, and and even the defeat to Galway, you could give them a little bit of leeway for that one. But uh, of course, the uh, fourteen men for the majority of it. So. Are Tyrone coming like in a, in a scary enough way for other teams because they're kind of, it's kind of under the radar almost. Yeah, you, you might sense a team here, lads. I think their their ceiling is very high. Their floor is pretty low as well, and we've seen both this year. Like they they've been able to mix the good and the bad, oftentimes within the same game. I, I did think the the Armagh game should have been uh, a bit more of a cause for concern. Like it was all there for them to put the. You know, put the foot down. Really, kind of send out a, a mark here. You're at home. You're, you're up to. You have an extra man. This was a big thing we'd heard about the Galway game. Is that Stirling were hamstrung because they were playing with, with 14 men. You couldn't read that into that performance. And then a week later, they just don't take advantage of it in the way that you would like to see them. Way and in multiple different ways. So they're trying to force shots. I won't say Shmuley Donnelly dropped the shoulder, tried to go past the man, and pops the ball back out to Michael McKernan, who takes kind of a a low percentage shot from near the wing and it goes wide and you're thinking okay this is probably a stage of the game where you need to try and manage it and keep the ball and then when they try and do that it nearly ends in disaster with Niall Morgan dropping the ball at his feet and they very nearly end up conceding a, a goal at the end so they're like from the flashes of good we've seen they absolutely are capable of winning an Ireland there's no doubt about that from the flashes of bad we've seen they wouldn't win a quarterfinal Last one for me on group two um, before we go into the, the other games in, uh, on Sunday in group one uh David Brady was on with us here a month ago and he predicted that Westmeath would win a game in Division 2 now. He's down to uh, the last one and it seems like fairly unlikely. I'm not sure, to be honest, which of us was grieving more after the Armagh game. But anyway, <laughs> Westmeath needing a five-point win over Tyrone um, in in Cavan there to prog- uh, progress or any win uh, in Galway would, if if Galway could do them a scoring favour, which may be, um, may be less unlikely. But that uh, order of... Um, uh, that table, let me just get it up here in front of me, into Galway, Armagh, Tyrone and Westmead. Um, what's your sense? Like uh, Galway, Tyrone, Armagh, Westmead might be a likely top to bottom and that come come close to play. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. And that means Armagh are, are going away. So Armagh could very feasibly end up going away to Kerry next week. That's the, again, that's the benefit of this. I, that's the reason I like this system, that there's, there is a significant consequence of coming territory going away to potentially a very big game in that. So from a, I yeah, I, I'll agree with you. I think Kerry and Tyrone are one and two are match three and Westmead. That that Armagh game was was a killer. Like that was just that was our chance for a win. That was a game they should have won. Uh, and I just don't foresee it this weekend unfortunately Adrian. Yeah that's the interesting it's so interesting the way that's the way the groups have panned out. Like you say Armagh could well be going away to Kerry next week. And yet it's also quite likely this weekend that, you know, Kerry get the win against Louth and Cork, I mean, if you're looking at it again, that there could be a, I don't want to say surprise, but if Cork were to beat Mayo, you know, it's not the most unlikely scenario where you could you could have Kerry finishing top of that group. Although, albeit it'll, it could come down to, to scoring different. It'll finish to, on four to points. Head to head. You could have Mayo, Cork, Kerry all on four points. Yeah. yeah uh, see, Mayo at the moment are on four points, Kerry on two, Cork on two, and Louth on zero. Yeah, it's, it's possibly most likely, I guess, Morris, that Kerry would finish second. If if Mayo win, the, the the game that you would have most intrigue about this weekend for me, anyway, lads, is I think that's the the headline game is the the Kerry, uh, sorry, the Mayo Cork game. Yeah. I think there's yeah. there's a huge amount of just in in every sense, there's a huge amount of intrigue in this game. Uh, 
from a bunch of ways, on the sideline, on the pitch, from what's the consequences in the group. Like, if you break it down, so Kevin Walsh is in coaching uh, Cork right now. Kevin Walsh had a great record against Mayo. He, he brought out a book during COVID, which was brilliant, like a really good GA resource and a really good coaching manual. But because it was during COVID, it didn't have a launch and probably went, to my mind, it went slightly under the radar how good that book was. But interestingly, I mean, just go through it. A lot of the things he talked about coaching-wise is how he set up against Mayo and was able to, he, he breaks the pitch down to five lanes and the two, three, four, the middle lanes, basically. He'd clog them up, force Mayo out to the channels and turn them over, give them up to them short. And that was against Stephen Rochford, who's now in as the assistant manager for, uh, for Mayo. And also in that book, he dedicated a lot of time to their rivalry with Roscommon. And when Roscommon bet them in the kind of final and the Roscommon manager who marched on the sideline to shake his hand early, Jose Mourinho style, who was Kevin McStay. And he got him back a year later, made sure... And this is all, you know, this is all on the record. Went back, made sure to enjoy that interaction when they back uh, Roscommon and Durain uh, in the kind of final a year later, it shook his hand too. So you've all that intrigue. But then it's just what that means for on the field, I think is really interesting, particularly in the context of the, the Louds game. If you like, the traditional analysis of Mayo for a couple of years now has been that when they have open road in front of them, they're electric. They're such an athletic team. They're incredibly, they just can just tear teams apart. When you drop off and force them to kind of break down a set defence, they will end up taking pot shots. They might run down blind alleys. And the fact that Mayo had no seeming answer to that against Loud, I think is really interesting. I, I think it is, I, I don't foresee Cork being necessarily very open this weekend, but I think if they do the same thing again, there's a bit of pressure on Mayo to prove to most of all themselves that they can deal with this system, that they know how to, to pull it apart, that they're capable of doing it. You know, if you go back to the Kerry game, actually, just uh, on that team, right? In the first half, Kerry tried to play open front foot football and Mayo effectively tore them apart. In the second half, and a lot there was a lot of moaning about this in Killarney at the time, Kerry dropped off. They they conceded the kick out. They were lining players up along their own, their 45, not to the loud extreme now, back on their own 45, on, on Mayo's 45. But mm. they let Mayo got it off short. But if you just look at the outcome of that, in that game, there's, there's 21 kickouts in total, right? And you can divide it 50 50, let's say. So 11 go long and 10 go short. And from the 11 go long, they score 1-6. That's, you know, a long ball. Aidan O'Shea catches it in the middle, wins a free, immediately turns, moves the ball up, and Norman McLaughlin scores a goal. But from those, the other half of all that went short, they only scored three points because they're trying to run through every single line. So Cork can double down on that. And then suddenly the ball is in Mayo's court. How are they, how are they going to deal with it? Can they deal with it? Because if they can't deal with it, every single team is drawing a circle around that. And for the rest of the summer, they're going to meet the same thing again and again and again. Uh, we should mention the the Group 4 that we haven't touched on as well, Morris. Uh, the Mini Ulster Championship plus Clare. Uh, Clare, of course, the only team relegated, or not relegated, yeah. but uh, not, not able to progress going into this last round of fixtures. Um, like I was at the Monaghan Clare game the last day. Monaghan impressive, 123. Um, a lot of different scorers, good spread as well. Um, and, and Jack McCarnham was just supreme. Nine points and eight of those from play. Um, and, and Donegal, I watched that game as well against uh, against Derry. Oshin Gallen was supreme in that one. Um so it's kind of come down to the, so the way that the table lies and that one Monaghan currently top uh, themselves in Derry level on points and scoring difference but Monaghan nudged on, on points scored um, so you'd imagine Derry playing a Clare team with, with nothing to play for would have the advantage heading into this weekend although Monaghan will, will, will fancy the Donegal game in Oma as well Morris Yeah and added into that as well Shane that Derry gave Clare a good hiding in the, in the league as well you could see them um, running the table effectively this weekend mm. unfortunately the other game, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Donegal have, from the down semi-final, their recovery has been fairly admirable in terms of that they didn't let it slide. They 
but in a very credible performance. I mean, they were 6-1 down against Clare and you were starting to fear about their prospects in this entire group. And from that point to now, they've shown loads of elements of um, of good coaching. As you mentioned, Ocean Gallon has been has been absolutely electric. I think Monaghan are, I would argue, probably one of the best coach teams in the championship. And they're also a testament to the whole point of this structure, which is you kind of learn game on game. The way they fixed their flaws from the Ulster semi-final versus when they played Derry again in the round robin, I think was was pretty incredible. So you'd I, you'd still give Monaghan the edge on that one. They're probably a testament as well to a team that can strike that balance between what we've seen a lot now recently, which is the reserved kind of defensive football, but they also are well able to mix. And you know, you mentioned those nine points Jack McCarran scored. The most impressive thing that I saw him doing that game was the crossfield pass in the oh, second half, which was just Torino totally, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. it was bad foot. Yeah, that, like that was that was ridiculous. That's a pass that you hear oftentimes. You can't play those passes anymore. And when they don't come off, Shane Walsh against Armagh in the quarterfinal last year, you're you're tearing your hair out, but when they do, they're just absolutely electric. And it's especially when you've got these overloads on one side of the pitch and you can just flick a ball as easily as, as he can. That stuff is invaluable. And that I don't think that happens uh it's not it, totally off the cuff. Like there's always there's a means to that madness. If you oftentimes you see Derry are so good at this as well, and this is what I think Monaghan were adapting. They'll bring a lot of players over to one sideline, the space kid on the other side, and then if you can get a, a quick crossfield ball, you're you're creating space. So I think Monaghan are, are moving nicely. I would fancy them to to beat the Nigal this weekend. And I there's not many teams that would want to play them the way they're improving game by game for the rest of the championship. Um, just before we let you away, Morris, you've been writing in the Examiner this morning about Mark O'Connor's 100th appearance for Geelong and remarkably only the sixth ever Irish player to do it. Yeah, I, it's probably an achievement that goes under the radar here. Just naturally, it's so far away. It's a sport that we probably don't know a huge amount about. And on top of that, it's falls in the middle of a, an absolutely blockbuster GA calendar, which people just don't have the... I suppose the space to, to deal with it, but I think it's it's a kind of a remarkable achievement, and he's a he's a testament to a guy Asian who, like from from minute one, he was probably destined to be an elite star if he wasn't so hamstrung with injuries. Like he was crippled with knee issues right until before he left, basically, and it's probably the motivating factor is why he went to the exposure to a professional environment and the rehab and doctors and all that that comes with it, and from resolving that, I think you know he. He wasn't actually able to run at all before he left. So there's a place at West Kerry Fitness. It's a, it was a bowling alley and they converted it to a gym in Dingle. And he just spent every single day upstairs there emptying himself on a watt bike. Arrives at the club, very light, but incredibly fit. And the Geelong do this, it's a 15 minute, you just run as basically as hard as you can for 15 minutes. Just keep, 15 minutes doesn't sound that long, but when you're going flat out amongst Aussie Roos players, it is pretty difficult. And he blitzed that. So straight away, there was a bit of like, they expected they expect guys who are arriving to maybe be in the bottom ten percent. I think he was the opposite. So there was a bit of excitement immediately about what he was going to end up going on to do. And from that point on, he just excels, like makes his debut after eight rounds, I think. He's in their leadership group after three years. He's now reached hundred games and he's still only twenty six. Um it's kind of a, a remarkable rise. I'd say there's there's carry people watching on thinking <laughs> wouldn't we love to, to have him particularly now with David Moore and gone and the the bit of a void that's in midfield and on top of that he comes home for Dingle last year and just shows glimpses of like he could still be a, an electric game footballer and so I wouldn't rule out the of seeing him for Kerry again but the story in itself is, is pretty remarkable and what he's achieved and on top of I mean he is he's in that six for 100 games but he also he's only one of three to win uh, a premiership along with Ty Kennelly and, and Zach Thoy so it, it's a fairly remarkable career he's the youngest of them all there's, there's absolutely no doubt that it'll only continue to, to rise and rise yeah, he might do a Ty Canelli on it at some point and come back. Uh, Morris, enjoy the games over the weekend. Catch up with you down the track. 
Thanks, guys. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.